Chapter 13 of Conciliatory or Irenical Animadversions on the Controversies Agitated in Britain under the Unhappy Names of Antinomians and Neonomians by Herman Witsius. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Our Judgment Concerning These Paradoxes Now I may be allowed to subjoin my own, which, all uncomely words being banished, shall flow in a gentle stream from the clear fountain of Scripture. And first, indeed, that is confessed among all the orthodox, which we have now several times asserted, viz. that our Lord Jesus Christ satisfied divine justice to the full for all the sins of all the elect, who, inasmuch as they themselves were to exist, all their sins, as future, were without any difference, present to God and Christ. And so, Christ dying, they were equally blotted out in one day, and in testimony of full payment, the discharge was, in a public and solemn manner, given him at his resurrection." Now in justification, not some part, but the whole right purchased by Christ is adjudged to every believer. The whole of his righteousness is imputed to deliver them from all condemnation, and to give them the sure hope of eternal salvation. And consequently, not only past sins are pardoned on that condition, that if they mean to be saved, they commit none afterward, or if they happen to commit them, that they must be solicitous concerning the new expiation of recent sins, but the pardon of all sins perfectly expiated by the one sacrifice of Christ is pronounced to them, none remaining or to remain, which shall bring them into condemnation and deprive them of eternal life. For this is the promise of the covenant of grace, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. Hebrews 8.12 it is the privilege of believers that in Christ they have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, Ephesians 1, seven, not of some only, but of all, without exception. For Christ, by his own blood, hath obtained eternal redemption, Hebrews 9.12. That is, its merit and efficacy endureth forever, and extends as much to future sins as to them that are past. If it were otherwise, none could receive solid comfort from justification, for what doth it profit me to know that only the sins which I have hitherto committed are pardoned, while every moment I sin and bring new debt upon myself? Must not the soul be equally solicitous who is conscious to itself that one sin, even the least, while not pardoned, is sufficient to exclude it from heaven? Now upon what foundation is the believer assured of the remission of past sins? Upon no other, surely, but that they were laid upon Christ, borne by him, and taken away which is not true as to past sins only, but also as to future. For, as I just now hinted, when Christ satisfied for them, they were all equally future in respect of us who now live. What reason then forbids, yea, what does not enjoin the believer to be persuaded that sins to come shall no more be imputed to him under condemnation than the past, since Christ by the same blood and death expiated the former no less than the latter? Paul is very express with regard to this matter in the 8th of Romans. There is no condemnation, he says, no, not any, to them who are in Christ Jesus. No sin at all which shall bring them into condemnation. Believers may be sacredly secure, even as to the future, for he who spared not his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? When he says all things, surely he does not accept the pardon of sins which we shall daily commit. For thus he goes on, Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God who justifieth, who absolves from every sin. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ who died, and by dying satisfied fully for all sins, having torn the handwriting on the cross. Yea, rather, 
who is risen again, having received from the Father the discharge of the satisfaction which he made, which is of service not only to him, that he may not again be arrested, but also to the debtors, for whom he is as a surety satisfied, who is even at the right hand of God, whither he could not have come himself unless he had first purged our sins by himself, Hebrews 1.3, and after that, by one offering, he had perfected forever them that are sanctified, Hebrews 10.12-14, who also maketh intercession for us, demanding, according to covenant, that the right he purchased for us be also thoroughly applied. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ, by bringing us into such a sin whereby we may fall from his love? For no other way can be imagined whereby either man or angel or even any other creature can separate us from the love of Christ, but by the instrumentality of sin. Since these things are so, it should not be reckoned a paradox, but is most evidently a true assertion that in justification that sentence is pronounced to the believer, whereby he is assured that satisfaction was made for all his sins, past, present, and to come, without exception, that none remains, whether already committed or to be committed afterwards, which shall ever bring him into condemnation. I cannot sufficiently admire that there should be found a reformed French divine who imputes this opinion as remote from the sentiments of our churches to a few divines perhaps in Holland who have been suddenly seized with an unreasonable desire after singular opinions. From which odium even Calvin alone ought to acquit them, whose memorable words on this subject are found in Institutes, Lib. 3, Chapter 11, Section 11 because it is more than sufficiently known by experience that the remainders of sin continue always in the just, they must needs be far otherwise justified than reformed to newness of life. For this last, God so begins in his elect, and advances gradually and sometimes slowly in it through the whole course of life, that they may always be afraid, lest they fall into condemnation at his tribunal. But he justifies them not in part, but that they may appear boldly in heaven as clothed with Christ's purity. For no portion of righteousness could pacify our consciences till they be satisfied that we please God because we are unexceptionably just before him. Hence it follows that the doctrine of justification is perverted and utterly overthrown when doubting is cast into souls, the assurance of salvation shaken, and free and undaunted prayer retarded, yea, when rest and tranquillity with spiritual joy is not established. See what follows, and it will appear that Calvin useth almost the same arguments with us. Of innumerable others, to Calvin I choose to add Charnock, a divine of recent memory in England, who in his meditations on Psalm 32, in the supplement to his works, page 107, speaks thus, Christ was made sin for us that he might take away all sin. Truly, it would have been an imperfect satisfaction if he had paid the interest and not the principal or the principal and not the interest. There is no condemnation at all to them who are in Christ Jesus. Therefore no guilt or cause of damnation left. Otherwise Paul's challenge had been foolish, which God forbid, whereby he challenges the whole creation to lay any crime to the charge of God's elect. If even the least sin had remained unremitted, upon which either the justice of God or the severity of the law, or the acuteness of conscience, or the malice of the devil himself, could have drawn up a charge. Since Christ came into the world for this purpose, that he might destroy the works of the devil, by which that wicked spirit had acquired a certain power over men, not any one sin indeed of the believer remained, for which he did not so satisfy, that on that account the devil could claim the least right over a believer. 
now let that author otherwise very celebrated go and contrary to all reason mark as a paradox a sentiment so much received and so clear that nothing occurs more frequently among the reformed writers of every nation i hear him declaiming that it is contrary to all reason and unworthy of god to pardon beforehand sins not yet committed but i wish that very wise man would tell me why it is less contrary to reason and less unworthy of christ to satisfy beforehand for debts not yet contracted but says he no father no king no prince ever came to such a degree of absurdity that while he pardons past sins he should also forgive those which were to be perpetrated in time to come i would not deny this but who is so blind in matters of divinity as not to see the evident reason of the difference when a father or a prince forgives a crime he does it from mere favour without any satisfaction of any surety who suffers the punishment due to all the crimes of the delinquent whether past or future but when god pardons past sins to one believing in christ and applying to himself all his merits in order to certain and complete salvation he intimates at the same time that future sins shall not be imputed to him unto condemnation because both rest upon the consideration of the ransom paid by christ as well for future sins as for past he urges there is no forgiveness of sins except after repentance now repentance is that afterthought and after care which follows the commission of sins now repentance is that after thought and after care which follows the commission of sins i answer that this general forgiveness of all sins whereof we speak is also preceded by the believer's universal sorrow shame and humiliation not only on account of sins actually committed but also because of that inherent perverseness of his nature with which he must perpetually struggle and from whence he foresees that many sins will proceed in time to come this universal sorrow answers in a certain proportion to that universal justification but if the justified person happens to bring himself again under the guilt of some atrocious sin i believe that such is the order of god's clemency that he does not specially apply that general sentence to the forgiveness of this particular sin nor does he intimate it to the accusing the upbraiding and convincing conscience in order to consolation joy and readmittance into his fatherly familiarity unless after a serious and suitable repentance for that sin of which more immediately anthony tuckney once regis professor of divinity in the college of cambridge has in a learned and judicious manner handled this controversy in his prelections question thirteen page one hundred and eighteen etc where he at once studies both truth and peace as we also attempt and shows that this problem may in a different sense be either affirmed or denied without the least injury to truth but neither can it be denied that god does not see sin in the justified since that is so often expressly asserted in scripture but it must be well understood he does not so see it that he purposes on its account to condemn them for in this sense he is said to cover their sins to cast them behind his back yea to cast them into the depths of the sea and that they may never come into his sight charnock's elegant observation on psalm thirty two in the supplement to his works page one hundred and two deserves its place and its praises here a crossed book will not stand good in law because the crossing of the book implies the payment of the debt such a debt may perhaps be read it cannot be demanded nothing hinders but that god may read pardoned sins in the book of his omniscience but he will never charge them at the bar of his justice god doth not altogether forget sin for nothing slips out of his knowledge or memory his not remembering sins is an act of his will rather than of his understanding that forgetfulness is not natural but legal 
God is not ignorant of the fact, but he removes the punishment and the fear of punishment by laying aside the memory of his wrath, not of his knowledge. He remembers as a father to chastise, not as a judge to condemn. Though sin be not imputed, yet it is inherent. Its being is not taken away, but its power is dethroned. It is taken away not as to the spot, but as to the guilt. Excellently, for surely God sees the sins of believers, he beholds them as a stain wherewith the soul is defiled, as blemishes wherewith a fair face is disfigured, as filthiness wherewith the beautiful robe of holiness is polluted, as a leprosy wherewith the whole man is infected, which David confessed when he desired to be purged with hyssop. And he sees them with remarkable displeasure, for he is not a God who hath pleasure in iniquity, no, not in that of those who are his own. He sees it also with anger and wrath, not in the wrath of a rigid and a condemning judge, but of a holy and an angry father. So he was angry with Aaron and Moses, though otherwise a pardoning God, angry with Miriam, as if a father had disdainfully spit on the face of a disobedient daughter, angry with the church of his elect, which, with a patient mind, composed herself to bear the indignation of her heavenly father, Micah 7.9 his indignation rising sometimes to such a degree that he not only hides his pleasant face from them stands afar and does not hear them when crying but also smokes against their prayers the billows of his wrath passing over them yea he seems to deal with them in a hostile manner counts them as his enemies writes bitter things against them puts their feet in the stocks sets a print upon their heels the arrows of the Almighty are lodged in them, the poison whereof drinks up their spirit, and the terrors of God set themselves as in array against them. For all these are the very words of Scripture. See Isaiah 8, 17, Psalm 10, 1, 38, 32, 3, 88, 16, and 17, Job 13, 14, 6, 4. The famous Tuckney elegantly observes in the place lately quoted, that notwithstanding that previous remission or justification following sins bring on particular guilt in itself deserving eternal wrath and so overwhelming the justified man that it stirs up the fatherly anger of god against him and makes him though not a son of wrath yet a son under wrath i confess indeed that job heman and other holy men did not always set proper bounds to their complaints None, however, will affirm this to me, that they had no cause at all for such great complaints, at least their complaining was not rebellion. And, though it be disagreeable to examine their several expressions, and to weigh them in the balance of the most accurate perfection, yet they all show under what vehement indignation of their heavenly Father the justified themselves may sometimes fall. So far is it from being true that sins do them no harm, for, besides that on their account, they deserve to be in all respects forsaken of God and disinherited in the very act they disturb peace of conscience and take away the boldness and the full persuasion of faith, lessen the joy of salvation, grieve the spirit of grace, hurt the spiritual life, greatly diminish the habits of Christian virtues. As to the facility and promptitude of acting, and sometimes bring on a vehement swooning of the soul, which would choke the very principle of spiritual life, unless the guilt being removed by the blood of Christ, his quickening spirit graciously repelled their deadly influence. As I am not averse to inculcate that there are no sins of the justified which can bring them into condemnation, so I would wish, with no less seriousness, to put the justified in mind, that the power of sin is pestilential, which they themselves will sometimes find, not indeed unto death, but to sickness, nigh unto death, and to torments similar to those which arise from the breaking of the bones. Chamia, against the calumnies of Bellamine, 
thus explains the opinion of the orthodox church panstrat volume three book fifteen chapter two section twelve we say that all sins hurt even these which are forgiven yea that they are not forgiven except they hurt they do not indeed prevent the obtaining of salvation as blasphemy lying and adultery did not cause that paul peter and david should be damned because forgiveness intervened but to say that they do no hurt is madness for there is no evil which does not hurt because it would not be evil if it did not hurt but sin even when forgiven is an evil and it would not be forgiven except were it evil therefore sin is hurtful even when forgiven this paul knew that paul who according to the papists themselves was assured of the forgiveness of his sins at least he himself professed so but i obtained mercy says he yet he cried out a wretched man that i am who shall deliver me from this body of death could he be wretched if sin did him no harm neither indeed is it true that the justified have no need of grief repentance confession and prayers in order to obtain the pardon of sins which are of daily infirmity as tertullian speaks or also of atrocious crimes if they are committed for though i asserted above that all sins are pardoned at once in the first justification yet that general pardon contains its more special periods and degrees hence it is that that universal sentence is applied to particular cases by the spirit of god himself without which the mind conscious of recent guilt is in a storm hence it also is that the heavenly father sometimes removes the heavy rod of correction and laying aside his indignation readmits the confessing sinner into familiar fellowship these things are everywhere in scripture called the remission of sins which all scripture together with the perpetual experience of believers teach not to be attainable except in the way of repentance confession and frequent prayer yea i would wish this also to be considered that pious men and such as in exercises of their devotion were under the singular direction of the spirit have sought the forgiveness not of recent sins only but have also by repeated confession put god and themselves in remembrance of their oldest sins committed in their childhood that what sins they had believed and experienced to be pardoned of old these they may now again perceive to be truly forgiven them by the renewed tokens of the divine favour which is excellently observed by calvin institutes book three chapter twenty section nineteen where quoting david's prayer in which he asks that god would not remember the sins of his youth psalm twenty five seven he thus goes on where we also see that it is not enough that every day we call ourselves to account for recent sins unless they which might seem to have been long forgotten return to our memory for the same prophet having elsewhere confessed one grievous offence returns on this occasion even to his mother's womb wherein he had long ago contracted the infection not that he might extenuate his guilt from the depravity of nature but that heaping up all the sins of his life he might find god the more easy to be entreated by how much he was severer in condemning himself I know that there is a certain humiliation and melting of heart into the sweetest tears of repentance arising from a sense of divine love, but I know also that there is a humiliation and a melting which are previous to that sense. I know that none of these is to be reckoned among meritorious causes or conditions, or as if by their own powers they obtain remission. But on that the controversy does not turn. It is not sufficient that God pre-requires them in man, yet not without his grace previous to the grant of further grace i know that they cannot please god except they proceed from faith but i know this also that something may be of faith which is not from the assurance and sense of pardon already obtained 
he also acts from faith who believing that there is the fullest remission of sins in the satisfaction and merits of christ betakes himself thither that he likewise may obtain to his own salvation what he hath learned from the gospel is promised to all believers in fine i know that the word of the gospel is the surest foundation of our certainty of the remission of sins but i know this also that sincere penitence is to us a certain evidence that the word of grace pertains to us for none knows this but he who repents of his sin i conclude this chapter with the warmest wishes that these detestable words may henceforth be banished and that it may never be heard from the mouth of any reformed divine to the dishonour and reproach of our most holy religion that sin does no manner of hurt to believers and that a believer immediately after committing the most atrocious crime is as much assured of pardon as he can be after the deepest humiliation End of chapter thirteen